0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers.
1: And now your
0: host, Saul Marquez.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Badri. Narasimhan. He is the founder and CEO of Alert MD, an 11 year old mobile health company that saves seven minutes or more for every minute spent on its platform. Badri has a background in engineering, science, and management and enjoys the use of mathematics to solve everyday problems. He graduated with a master's degree in engineering and science disciplines at Georgia Tech and with an MBA at Babson College. Before Alert MD, Badri had senior management positions with ChoicePoint and Le- Alexis Nexus Company and AGCO Corporation, each for several years. Badri lives with his twelve-year-old son in the burbs of Chicago. That's where we're based, and enjoys travel and reading. He's a, a phenomenal contributor to healthcare, solving for that quadruple aim through making solutions that make physicians happier and at the same time patients more healthy. So really excited to dive into the details of what Badri's up to. And with that, I want to give you a warm welcome, Badri. Welcome. Thank you so much. That was a very kind introduction there. Hi, Badri. I think I just scratched the surface. You're a humble man and and, uh, definitely doing some great things with AlertMD. Is there anything that I missed that maybe you wanted to fill in for the listeners to know about you? Well,
0: not about me personally, but I kind of will start off on a little bit of a philosophic note. I've run AlertMD for more than a decade and I've been on the business side of things for a couple of decades before then. And in all of those years and all of those business situations, what is very clear to me is that the entity being purchased is really the human relationship. And our customers know that there is an AlertMD team that cares about them, that is behind them. They take a chance with us and we have come through with them. And we actually have month-to-month renewals. And that means every day we could possibly get a notice saying somebody is not renewing the next month and we have a 99% retention rate. And what that tells you is somewhere in the back room, there is a contract that nobody reads. And our company culture, the way we treat our employees, the way we make them think and act like they are owners of our company is really what delivers those kinds of results. So what I'm most proud about are really not my accomplishments, but the culture of our company.
1: That's beautifully said, Badri. And uh, I forget, I think it was Peter Drucker that said, culture eats strategy for breakfast any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the work you're doing there is definitely a testament to that. Why did you decide to get into the medical sector?
0: That's an interesting question. I wish I could give a profound answer. Like I always knew there were inefficiencies in healthcare. And one day I woke up. <laughs> Unfortunately, or fortunately, it's uh, it's not that. In the early days, we were beating around every bush we could find for inefficiencies. And the CEO of a large health system in Illinois took a chance on two guys in a hundred square foot office, and it paid off for him. His uh, his institution was named the Malcolm Baldridge Award winner for best improvement in quality, and along came AlertMD uh, for the next decade. And the smartest thing that I think I did there was to keep that relationship alive and build trust. So we got into it by accident and by the fact that somebody trusted people to innovate.
1: That's great. And so you guys are in a 100-square-foot office and you're developing a solution that was able to scale across an entire health system. I mean, something that to, to definitely be proud of. And now it's it's 10 years later, or well, more than 10 years later. What do you think is a hot topic that needs to be on health leader's agenda today. And how is AlertMD addressing that?
0: And 10 years is a very long time. It's almost an era in technology. I remember when we first got started, it was actually 11 years ago, there was no iPhone. They were just web browsers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the reality of the matter is uh, my son is 12 now, and he goes online to order toothpaste or whatever he orders on Amazon or any other website. And he can watch that tuba toothpaste order get processed. He can watch which warehouse that box leaves. He can watch the estimated arrival time. He's told it'll be here tomorrow by 3 p.m. He can watch that toothpaste tube travel. And the last mile, he says, your tube is on the way. You can watch it come to your door. And I then go call his doctor's office and I wait on the phone line for 17 minutes. And I leave a voicemail. I have no idea when they'll return my voicemail. I go to their portal, I leave a message. I don't know whether they read their message, when they are going to call. And that is what is frankly shocking to me. And the hot topic I would say is, and I hate to put it in a very terrifying tone, one day the doctor's office that does not think about the tuba toothpaste versus their own workflow, that doctor is going to wake up and find an empty waiting room and they are going to say it must have gone the business must have gone to the other shiny room across the street and the competition to healthcare may come from outside healthcare delivery may not be solved in the traditional manner and that is a terrifying thought and frankly the hottest topic that i think doctors should think about
1: yeah that's a great juxtaposition of a, of something that we're also used to badri you know this and today we're calling it consumerism in healthcare. And, you know, but the fact is, gosh, I mean, all these places, Toys R Us, Sears, you know, all these traditional brick and mortar places to get things, they're gone and healthcare is not immune to it. So what, what would you say an example that you and your company have, have been up to to solve this problem is, and how have you created results?
0: That's a broad question I'll or maybe give one quick example, and there may be many, we have a mantra that we use internally. And, and it pretty much has been first to mind from a very, very early going, which is that every minute our customers spend on our platform, they should save seven or more minutes. And that gives a framework. You know, We are in the business of efficiency. Our customers are way smarter in doing their job than our software will ever be. And if we give them time, if we free up their time to go do the good job, which is to focus on healthcare delivery or focus on, you know, billing or whatever their world may be, then we are doing the right stuff. And so we never really try to think about how many clicks is it and can I save a click? Because I I would say the bane of a software company's existence is to sit there and optimize clicks. Mm -hmm. The real question the software company should ask is, why is the customer logging in? We are failing them because they have to come to us to get the answer. Why don't we go give them the answer when they need it? And I'll give you a specific example. Again, going back 10 years ago, one of the products we had at that time was a hunt and peck machine. The doctor would log in and they would hunt and peck for this code and that code, and it's laborious. And we had to, at that point, it was better than paper. And these days, It's a shame if I have to do that. So we've rethought that process about, I want to say, a couple of years ago. And we then asked the question, why is the doctor even logging in? Didn't they enter the information that gives the answer in the hospital system or in the ambulatory surgical service system or or in any other system. And can't we take the answer from there and pre-fill it on behalf of the doctor and give it to a certified coder? Get rid of the doctor from the middle. And the same satisfaction that the 12-year-old kid and their parent got from, you know what, I know the toothpaste will come. I don't need to worry about it. If I have a question, I can go check on my Amazon app. Otherwise, I don't need to do anything. I will very humbly say that there are many doctors who are now able to spend time with their 12-year-old or how many-year-old kids without worrying about did my charge get billed because we just automatically source it from a different system, send it to their coders, get the approval, submit it to billing. If the doctor wants, they can log into our app and see if it is done or not. And most of them don't even have time for that because they are busy ordering toothpaste and having fun in the little precious moments with their children.
1: Well, I think that's uh, masterful. And thinking through this process, there's so many point solutions in healthcare. And what it sounds like you're, you're, you're delivering a really just kind of solution to, to help across several different systems in such a way that delivers efficiencies to the physician and his staff. And I think it's uh, it's brilliant work that you're up to. So obviously, it hasn't always been perfect, Badri. Can you share with us uh, a, <laughs> a time when you had a setback and uh, what you learned from that setback?
0: That could be the next 10 podcasts for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> like all companies, we have had our fair share of mistakes. If I can kind of think of a couple, let me give you an example. And, and time a company says we are in the business of innovation, you take a chance. You take a chance that what you're about to build will be adopted by the industry. And like many companies, sometimes we did the build it and they will come approach. And we got severely burned by it because we're a small company. We're uh, fully invested in Illinois and we can't do a five-year effort and then realize, oh, well, you know, the market doesn't need it. And uh, we actually did something, I want to say about five years ago, five calendar years ago, we built out a telemedicine solution. And we did that because it seemed interesting. And then sometimes innovation, you you have to kind of try things out to see if it sticks or not, but then not really invest too much time until you know that there is buy-in. And we made the mistake of saying, we think it's good. Let's just pour a lot of resources, which are very limited for us, into it. And we built that solution five years ago. We sat and waited for adoption, and it did not come. And we were humbled, humiliated, and shut it
1: down a year later. Yeah. So what was your biggest takeaway from that, Badri?
0: There probably are are several. Um, You know, we, we spent three person years developing it. I would say one of the takeaways for any organization, and this could be a physician office as well. They say, we're going to go into risk-based health, and you hire all these people, go into it, and you realize it's not what you want. Or it could be a software company, and we experimented with pricing. Uh, We said, oh, it's 79 cents a minute, didn't work. 60 cents a minute, how about 40? It's free, take it, it's free. Just use it and give us feedback. And the underlying parameters of the industry, you know, rewind five years, there was no, you know, 4G, there was, you know, network speeds were not that high. The iPhone, I want to say the iPhone 4 was what was there when we released it. Position offices were still kind of catching up on EMRs. So the lesson, if I can encapsulate all of that is, understand the business drivers, the industry drivers, and sometimes you can be too early to the market. And so build it and they will come is not a smart thing to do
1: for businesses of all types. Now, that's a great share, Badri. And believe it or not, this lesson that you share is 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 one that comes up a lot when, when I ask this question to to our guests. I wonder if there's a book out there called, If You Build It, They Won't Come. <laughs> I did not read that one. Too bad. <laughs> I'll tell you what—I made that mistake too. And and uh, my gosh, I mean, it's something that's very common, surprisingly. But hey, nevertheless, I'm uh, really glad you shared that, and and the context with which you put it in, really, I think, will resonate with the listeners today. So let's take a look at the other side of that coin, Badri. What's one of your proudest leadership experiences in healthcare business today?
0: I um, I have to say, it's not a product experience. It's a team experience. And let me, let me kind of put that into perspective. When we were two people and in a 100-square-foot office, I wore 17 hats and my co-founder wore another seven hats or how many other hats they were that were needed. And these days, if I go into the customer service team and start asking, what's everybody doing? They very politely say, why don't you go grab a cup of coffee? Come back. We'll chat. I'll give you a They chase me over there. And I only get involved when there is a red hot issue. I remember in, in some discussions uh, regarding coding, and, and I don't even go into that room. And I would say my proudest experience is that we have a team of people, and these are all U.S. citizens, U.S. educated. We've been very, very local about investing in the economy. Uh, they frankly are mostly Chicago graduates. Nice. Uh, not that we are preferential towards that. But uh, you know the way they have progressed, they have made me useless in the day-to-day work and helped me free up my time to focus with clients in the future and creating new products. And I know that AlertMD will continue to prosper and there is a new set of leaders that have been created. And I would say that is the greatest sense of satisfaction I get.
1: That's powerful, Badri. And uh, definitely a testament to your leadership and your vision and the way you've been able to lay the groundwork there at Alert MD. So big credit to you and, and big kudos no, to no, you. No, no, I, no. I, yeah, well, I, tell you, I think
0: it is the latter. You know, my only responsibility there has been to make sure that, and look, I mean, Alert MD is, is not a crystal palace where there are parties all the time. When culture fit is a problem, I have not been shy about getting rid of the wrong people off the bus very, very quickly. So my job has been to put the people with the right mindset together and encourage them to dissent and say, disagree if you think it's a stupid idea. And that creates an internal reactor where people say, you know, Badri may be the person who brought us into the team, Mm -hmm. but we are the team. And we're going to tell him he's wrong. We're going to tell him why he is wrong. And we're going to overrule him. And I think that is the secret sauce.
1: no, I think that's great, badri, and and definitely big recognition to the group you've put together. and, uh, yes, thank and you. yeah, and, and so your solution has a lot of different uh, pathways and different areas where it could add value. Which one of them is the most exciting to you today?
0: Oh, you're asking me to pick my favorite child. Uh, <laughs> that's the, the hard one. I would say we we service different areas of the industry. And the rev cycle side, we have taken a very new take in saying, why is the physician part of the rev cycle aside from seeing the patient? And so that's one way. I'm kind of enamored by patient satisfaction because it's such a nebulous topic. And I actually saw a salesperson in a physician office waiting room, and they were bringing the latest brand of vanilla scent to put in the waiting room to say, well, your, your patients are going to get the scent of a garden and your satisfaction is going to improve. And that was a pivotal moment for me. (laughs) The fact that the physician office would spend money on things, like they will do anything for patient satisfaction, they're grasping at the straws, throw more people at it. And so I would say our work in patient satisfaction and what that means is probably something that excites me because it's not very concrete and there are many ways to solve the problem. And I think we have a very unique way of dealing.
1: No, that's very interesting. And as I understand, Badri, you're also very engaged with the Alexa platform.
0: Very engaged. Is, is we certainly are one of the uh, many, many people that are looking at it. I, I would say Alexa is just a channel. This goes back to the days of GoDaddy and all of these. They, they know, nobody knew what a website was, but they knew if they paid $10, they would get a website from GoDaddy and they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And, and I think Alexa <laughs> is kind of one of those. You can buy an Alexa skill from, you know, two other guys in a hundred square foot room somewhere else. But the question is, how are you going to solve the problem? So our value add is we understand the phone, the web, Alexa, your office, and we bring a package solution that hits upon the key pain points of patient satisfaction.
1: Yeah that's a that's a great analogy Badri back when the websites came out you, you could get a you know website and what do you do with it and and that's kind of where alexa is today and and folks it's just a channel as badri alluded these folks are mastering all of the channels and uh, i welcome you to go check them out their website is www.alertmd.com You'll see all the solutions that they offer, some some of the work that, that they're up to that's creating a majorly positive difference in healthcare. So, Badri, we're here at the lightning round. I've got several questions for you. And then I'll ask for your book recommendation. You ready? Sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: Go where the patient is, and the patient lives on their phone. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? to think you know everything and if it wasn't invented in your four walls,
1: then it must not be good. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? You have to think ahead and if you can't do it within your own team, seek outside help, read and get new ideas. What's one area of focus that drives everything at Alert MD? As of now, we are very, very determined
0: to try and figure out the drivers of patient satisfaction and the one area of focus is our mantra. How can we save seven minutes for every minute our clients spend on our platform
1: and drive patient satisfaction? That's powerful. It's a powerful message and very clear value prop. So these next two, Badri, are more on a personal note for the listeners to get to know you. What's your number one health habit?
0: The number I, I brush my teeth probably five times a day and, uh, and I use <laughs> mouthwash. My dentist is very happy with me.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. And uh, what is your number one success habit? I would say perseverance. I, um, you know, a lot of people, uh,
0: there are many, many people who are way smarter than I am. Uh, The rest of my team, I can say on average, is at least twice as smart as me. I work very, very hard. I certainly put in my effort. And my secret to success is I put in the hours. Love it.
1: And what book would you recommend to the listeners, Badri? Wow. Well, you know, maybe this is another secret health
0: habit right after uh, brushing my teeth. I read one book a week, and it's always a nonfiction book, generally business books. So you're, you're putting me in a very hard position by asking me <laughs> to pick one book. But uh, I'll give a very nebulous, long-winded answer. I'll, I will spit out <laughs> a book and we'll see where we'll see it goes. There is a book that tried to answer the question, well, Newton and Da Vinci were extraordinarily bright. Mm -hmm. But there are other people in the world who are half as bright, you know, who suddenly have all the things that could have made them a Newton or Da Vinci, but they have never established their name that way. Mm -hmm. There are 100 people who start boot camp at West Point. 40% of them don't make it at the end of boot camp what is different about the 60 that make it and the 40 that don't make it? Or maybe the numbers are even opposite. What makes somebody of average intelligence succeed on an above average scale? And what makes somebody who of above average intelligence not succeed? And what should we really measure? Should we measure SAT scores and ACT scores? And, and there's a higher SAT score 30 years later, always a predictor of success. There are enough college dropouts and enough people who haven't been to formal school that have disproved that notion. And so there is a book that tries to answer the question, if success is the endpoint, intelligence is one of the components of it. But what else is there? It's intelligence times something else times something else equals success. And the book that asks some critical questions with reasonably good examples, and I have no relationship with the author or the publishing company. It's a book called Grit by mm. Angela Duckworth. And uh, the fundamental argument I may have given away in, in various bits and pieces, but I'll uh, leave it hanging. But uh, I, I thought the book made a very, very good and convincing argument there.
1: Vajri, that was an awesome summary. <laughs> and I, and, I, and by the way, I got goosebumps as you were talking because it was very inspiring. And the numbers don't lie. Folks, GRIT we will provide a link to the book here on the podcast website. Just go to outcomesrocket.health. And in the search bar, type in ALERTMD, just as it sounds, A-L-E-R-T-M-D, and you'll find it there. You'll also find a full transcript of our talk with Badri as well as the short notes, and uh, really excited for you to check it out there. Badri, this has been a ton of fun. I really, really appreciate your time here on the podcast. Why don't you leave us with a closing thought and a call to action for the listeners where they could get in touch?
0: Well, my closing thought would be something very personal. I have a 78-year-old dad with Parkinson's who lives with me, and I'm able to become his personal assistant to provide him care, mainly because the market does not provide a way for him to access healthcare easily. And so part of why we are building Margie, as we call it, the machine assisted recommendation and guidance engine is so people like him. And one day, you know, I may face a situation like that where I need to depend on technology or another person. So my thought for you is this. Someday you may be in a position where you need medical attention. You need easier access to healthcare. How would you like to be treated? Do you want to call your doctor's office and wait on the line for 17 minutes or leave a message on the portal and say a prayer that it'll get answered? Or do you want better access? And if you want better access, hopefully, even if this means increased competition for Margie and Alert MD, hopefully you're going to do something about it. Otherwise, we're going to wait on large corporations, large billion dollar software companies to one day think I'm going to do something about it. And I can order. Pizza on Domino's Pizza website and watch my pizza get cooked. If you have not seen that, please do that. And I call my doctor's office and I have no idea what happened to my portal message. And we pay billions of dollars in healthcare. That would be my final thought for you. Do this for yourself.
1: What a great message! So that's a great message, a great call to action for the listeners. Again, you could check out Badri and what his outstanding team are up to go to www.alertmd.com and check out the show notes at outcomesrocket.health badri just want to give you a big thanks and uh really really looking forward to seeing where this thing goes it's
0: been a pleasure thank you so thanks for listening to the outcomes rocket podcast